Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the Three and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the Three and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. Welcome back to the show, <laughs> faithful listeners, where, unlike most teams in the NBA, we continue on full strength tonight. Ryan and Derek, <laughs> what do you guys make of tonight's most recent display of continued inequality in college football, huh? 65-7? to 7? What do you guys make of that? It made Gosh, the- how bad is Michigan? <laughs> TCU made the Ducks look good. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted the cow. I wanted. I wanted the Huskies in the playoff, but uh, it was sort of like when I was saying, "Bring on Bama!" back in uh, 2016. It's like, watch what you wish for when you're playing the SEC. <laughs> I was holding out for the, like the greatest comeback in the history of, of sports early on in the second half. And uh, it quickly became apparent that uh, that was not going to take place. So uh, Kirk Cousins was not walking through that door. No, he was not. Well, well it's, I always appreciate about Kirby Smart, the coach of Georgia, is that he he has no um, – he completely understands that it's all about talent. Like, they have great coaching and they have great, like, mentality there, but it's all about talent. And I'll never forget when he um, – when they when Georgia destroyed – the ducks as we just as i just brought yeah, up yeah yeah no but after the game like dan, dan lanning his old defensive coordinator he's like i mean kirby smart got quote afterwards saying yeah he doesn't have the players yet to compete with us and and somewhere mario crystal ball was kind of giving the side eye on that because they had had like three top 10 recruiting classes recently yeah. um but i think it is like there's a different level i mean the depth that they have and the guys that they have is just because they have like a, I mean, Stetson Bennett, like he's performed well in big moments, but he's not, it's not a big difference making quarterback. He's not you know? Justin Herbert. He's not, <laughs> not Greg McElroy. So. <laughs> you know, who's also hurting tonight though is, is Ohio state. I mean, they, they had them dead to rights in that game. It felt like, and they just couldn't, couldn't close it out. Uh, but uh, something tells me they wouldn't have had too much of trouble either with TCU. Did, did, I, I just I'm not following. I follow the Huskies, Pac-12, follow everything as much as I used to. But so it's, it was Marvin Harris, Harrison's son, who's like the best receiver in college football. But of course, Ohio State's had all the best receivers in college football for the last few years. You know, Brian Hartline is the coach there, coaching the receivers. But then he got hurt, right? And he he came out. Did people know that Marvin Harrison Jr. was going to be like his dad basically, but like a bigger version of it is he, he's always been known as being that good. So it wasn't like he came out. Okay. I yeah. Mean, he was uh, supposed to be really, I mean, he's an Ohio state receiver, but it's like, he's like his dad. He's just dominant. Right. Well, the, the hilarious thing is that they had Jackson Smith, the Jigba who, who was the guy in the Rose bowl who had like 15 catches last yeah, year yeah, 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 when Olave and Wilson were leaving. Yeah. And, he, and he was basically hurt. And then basically just didn't come back this year because of the draft. And yeah. meanwhile, Marvin Harrison, and then Emeka were like the two other guys. So, well, so their right receiver room last year had the two first round picks from last year, had the dude's going to be a first round pick this year that's been out the whole year, and had Harrison and Emeka. And the year before that, they had Jamison Williams who transferred to Alabama. Oh, right. No, he just he's playing for Detroit. Oh, my God. Wow. 
It's like how Georgia has three top has the has the number one tight end recruit in the country three years in a row. Like you only play two tight ends at most at any one time. Like what are we what are we thinking here, guys? <laughs> Spread the wealth, inequality. When the third guy came out his recruiting visit, they just showed clips of like the jumbo package, like the, the two times they ran it all year on loop. It was like this is gonna be great. We're building the we're building the three tight end monster over you. Yeah. Well, in, in, in you know. I did. It was a watching part of the game. I didn't have much of an appetite for it when it when it got to about forty five to seven. But I I did. I, I was celebrating our discussion last week about the continued parity in the NBA, and it's only it's only perpetuated. I think we have all ten teams in the Western Conference are within under eight games of each other. Wow. Uh, with the Nuggets and the Grizzlies in first, and uh, it's it's a little more spread out in the Eastern Conference, but still, I, I mean, it's just it's to be in such a fun era where there's so many teams that are conceivably in the mix. Um, it's like nothing we've ever seen. Michael, Wait, I, I, thought, I, I thought we were a football podcast. Now I'm confused. We're back to, back <laughs> right. to basketball. Uh, right. We're, we're going to circle back to your fantasy team later. Just <laughs> uh, I was confused too, but I thought the metaphor was going to go in a different direction. I thought you were going to kind of circle back to last week's uh, dialogue. And, uh, you know, Georgia starts with G. Giannis starts with G. TCU, Jokic. Uh, the true both ways. <laughs> TC is just all offense. They really couldn't hang physically. Oh wait, sorry. No, um, no. It's it's amazing seeing the the parody, and it's again we talked about it last time. It's it's making every night amazing. And I, I don't know. I, I just shot it to you guys before the pod, but you know Michael Pena with the Ringer, he actually made a really. I mean, if you haven't read the piece, read it at some point. But he makes the argument, and I think it was just late last week that. Doncic should not only be the MVP of the league, he should be the most improved player. Now, everyone's looking for an angle an article. They're trying to make an argument. They're trying to get me to talk about it on, you know, super um, widely listened to NBA podcasts. Um, so mission successful, Michael Pena. I have fallen for your trap. But he lays it out, a good argument. And if you look at the numbers, Doncic is improving across the board. And we talked about that's the hardest jump to make is when you're already out as a first team all NBA player and to still keep improving. Now he's only 23, so it makes sense that he's still improving. But I mean, if you just go through what he's doing, how he's controlling things, I mean, he is the best pick and roll ball handler ever, ever, maybe. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Ever's a long time. CP3, I mean, who else? Is, I mean, Stockton Harden? Malone, Harden. I mean, he's in that top group. Um, Terry Porter, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's funny to me because um, I made an exception to my rule and I, I went to two college games uh, oh, boy. in December. I know. Uh, just to make one, you appreciate how great the NBA is, right? You just right. something you do. Okay. No, Did you right. bring your sleeping mask? <laughs> uh you didn't have to pay for that did you <laughs> you get the firm tickets of, the second one second one i did but the first one uh saint mary's college is they're like 15th in the country i mean they're definitely legit and it's just like around the corner from us so what to see them play steve lavin coach of usd he looks like he's about 100 years old now um but uh you know saint mary's mopped him but they have this freshman who's averaging like 15 a game and he's kind of really like their best offensive player. And uh, he was in foul trouble, so he didn't play much in the first half. And he came on 
And he's not like an overwhelming athlete, but he can run the pick and roll, like a pick and roll ball handler, like for college, like just at a high, high level. And you realize, like, I thought about it. I was like, wait a second. There's guys now, like, like in memory of Rick Majerus, now everyone runs pick and roll. Like everyone's doing that. And so these guys who are 19 right now have been running pick and roll since they were like eight and nine. Now, again, like D love, you were way ahead of this with the, you know, love going to acre. Um, no, you roll. were my, you were my Carl Malone when we, yeah, yeah, that's camp. right. That's right. Polo camp. Come on. Yeah. Well, acre was your thorough Bailey, but you know, it's not, uh... <laughs> but it's just crazy. To me that, like this guy, like he can't, he's not actually going to do a lot off the dribble one-on-one, but pick and roll every single time he made the right choice. He scored, he shoot, he drive, he pass. And it's really like, it's amazing to see what people can do now and how that's incorporated in the league so much. So I don't know. I mean, we had the Jokic Giannis debate last week. Where are you guys on Luca right now? They, the, 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 you know, they lost last night. He didn't play, but you know, they've won like seven out of nine before that. They're definitely getting back in the swing. Um, where does he rank right now for you and your, your top group? Well, and to your initial point, I feel like there's always been an assumption that to win most improved, it's like you go from being sort of a marginal player to to becoming like a really good player or like a guy that just no one really had any recognition of. And then all of a sudden he became becomes a name because I'm trying to think, is there any precedent of someone who actually was like a really good player who's gone from good to great or in Luca's case, gone from like really really good or almost great to now being like All right great, it's hard you know, it's, just, it's kind of interesting but it, it seems like it should be fair to have a single standard of like okay if this guy's improved from this year to that year so much so i think that's kind of an interesting point to um to consider that and can a guy win mvp and most improved <laughs> yeah i mean it seems unlikely like you're saying i mean jaw won it last year to be fair oh that's remember good. it was going to be john morant or desmond bain Oh, right. This is perfect. Yeah. Luca can win it and they can give the trophy to Christian Wood. That's perfect. <laughs> I thought you were going to say DFS. <laughs> no, not Reggie Ball. I, I, you know how I, I was a big supporter of Christian Wood? I, I traded him right oh. before they put him as the starter, like the worst possible time to trade oh, him. He's been putting up first round value. May have ruined my fantasy season because of that, too. Anyhow. <laughs> and when you football. say. You say ruined your fantasies, it means ruined your life, basically, right? Is that what well, I just won a football <laughs> championship, so I'm good for a few months. That's it, man. That's like, that's, uh, but it's like Vegas, right? You just take the the pot you want and you just reinvest it, right? You just keep playing. You keep, oh, yeah. You never win. You never win. Yeah. Just yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But I, I just, yeah. I mean, it's, again, I'm obviously love Luca, love Jokic, love Giannis too, but it's just crazy to see. Um, just the level he's playing on. And also that he actually, like we talked about this often on the last few weeks, um, or maybe the last part of the one before the holidays, is that I don't think, like James Harden could have really, really good players around him and would still want to play the same way. I mean, we're seeing it in Philadelphia, right? Like even with Embiid, it's a little awkward. He's he's kind of like, oh, I'll pass more, but he's still just kind of doing his thing, right? And I, and, and I think Luca to a certain degree, he um he wouldn't sort of um he 
he might stay in the corner still. And if he'd have the ball kind of just not do stuff as much, but I don't think he's like Harden. I think he, if he had better offensive players on his team, he would be like finding them in the right spot. Like he makes the right decisions, you know, every time. And the other thing this article showed was that he is playing a lot better, um, a lot better defense, a lot more active one-on-one. And I do think getting it kind of targeted by the Suns, especially, but even I think with the Warriors, like people are going after him and kind of, you know, trying to get, get on him. I think that kind of national attention to like, oh, they're targeting Luke on defense because he's like, doesn't care about defense or doesn't try. Um, that's helped him too. It, it, it may be kind of Jokic statistics where, it makes him look like an even better defender than he actually is, but he's definitely playing better than last year. So again, a guy who's playing decent defense um, and then just his offensive game keeps growing. And I think the underrated part of him is how tall and big he is. Cause he can just, it is a little bit like bird where like, or magic where they were just so big and tall that they can kind of just play at their own pace and you can't really get in the way of them. Like you could, they don't have to just break you down and make one move. They can just take their time. And that's the same with Jokic too. Like when you watch, like even tonight, he had some insane pass to Aaron Gordon. And it's like, he can just take his time because he's so big. I think he just gives these guys so much confidence just to like, and it kind of screws people up because they play kind of like, you know, it wasn't like Burr, Magic was an incredible athlete, but it wasn't like, you know, in the half court, he was just like blowing by guys and dunking on them all the time, at least later in his career and definitely not bird, but they all played at a certain pace and then were so comfortable. And it's just crazy when you play like that. And when Luca comes off those picks and just waits and waits, waits, it's just, I don't know. I'm just, it's so cool having those two guys on the offensive end. And obviously we debated last week, like having the defensive end is just as important um, or, or close to as important as the offensive side. So someone like Giannis has that advantage, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. The article is great. Definitely recommend it. Luke is great. This just in, but it's fun to see these guys keep taking steps. And I thought that's what the season is really all about is all these guys keep getting better. Like Embiid, like is in the averaging in the thirties, like they're all playing better. And I do feel like there's sort of, and Giannis went crazy a couple weeks ago and like, LeBron had a big game. I, I feel like it's kind of like we're trying to, you know, anything you can do, I can do better. And I feel like that's contributing some to this where you can't take nights off because of the um, parody, Michael, you were talking about, but also the top of it, the game, it's like, who's going to be considered the best. And there's like five or 10 guys around there that can all, like we talked about, can be there. So um, yeah, it's great. Who, who needs college football? <laughs> until 2023 when the dogs are in the, the the real dogs are in the college football playoff but okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I actually like the point about luca's defense is is noted and i actually think it's it's interesting you compared his improvement and just sort of his physicality to Jokic offensively i actually think his physicality on defense is like is almost the opposite of Jokic, and that Jokic because he's a center because he's the largest human on the floor for their for their defense he sort of he has to anchor that schematically and i think as a wing defender Jokic, while he's susceptible to sort of blow buys it's not an automatic two-point bucket when you're not the back line of defense now with christian wood there you still still might be (laughs) might have the same issue the human swap machine now though but it is yeah i mean that is a good point no but I mean, I think Doncic, you know, you speak of Magic and Bird also not always being fleet of foot offensively. I mean, defensively, they weren't either. But anytime yeah. you have guys that are six, seven, eight, nine, 
six ten, long arms, strong. Like j- just because they might laterally be 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 subjected to some challenges, if they dimension if they demonstrate any sort of effort, they're going to be you know passable, especially when they're like a, an offensive supernova. And so I think that's the thing you've seen from Doncic this year is again he's not like he has to go lock down you know the best wing defense player he he guards. If he if he gives passing effort, his physical tools allow him to to really serve effectively his team defensive kind of strategy. I mean, it's kind of what Dirk got away with too, right? Is that yeah, he had Chandler behind him. Yeah, he yeah, had yeah. he had that you know physical capability. Where again, I I think my concern with Jokic in the long term, especially in the playoffs, is is can you? There there has to be a really unique player paired with him if he's going to be your center uh, and figuring out how to, how to navigate that, I think defensively is going to be a challenge. And I think they're, they're, you know, with the KCP's kind of trade and um, you know, the uh, Aaron Gordon, for instance, I mean, a few of these other guys who can defend perimeterly a little bit better, you know, you, you, you relieve some of that pressure, but I still think in the pick and roll world we live in, it's, it's going to be a continued to be a challenge. That's a so great we're in agreement. Denver doesn't have what they need to support uh, the Joker. <laughs> but if only he was in Milwaukee, it'd be different. <laughs> yeah, Grayson <laughs> Allen is a phenomenal perimeter. <laughs> Wes yeah. Matthews was washed in his last year in Portland, and somehow he's oh, like, "Oh man, still... oh man!" Hey, it was that that AC that injury that that uh, that, that, was, that was the that, end of the era. That team was bro- rolling too. I man. know. That team was really good. Wow. Um, I yeah, that's a great point about Doncic, and I really like the comparison with with Jokic, because yeah, if on, he's so big that if he just kind of like gives the three point shooter some space and lets them like gives up a three, a contested three, and just moves his feet a little bit, like against a, the guys he's guarding, like the second or third or fourth options on the perimeter, it's like he doesn't have to do much more than that. But if he's able to do that, then it just it just it's like Curry when he 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 got better at doing that. It just kind of takes that away because it's they only do it because they feel like it's easy money and they want to wear you out. And if you show you're more stout even a few times, it's sort of like the you know the bully picks on someone and if they actually like you know are able to defend themselves a few times, they go on to a easier you know easier right. prey. Um, you know, so yeah, I I, I think that's key is it's just fun to see guys kind of get that that that's something you know he needs to do and to make three all nba first teams before you're like 23 is just by your time 23 is just it's crazy i mean it's just crazy he uh, only has the one the the one flaw the same as Giannis. he's not a consistent free throw shooter that's interesting i thought you were going to say he can place the ref 24 7 well, I guess that's a that. yeah. that's a feature and a bug but yeah <laughs> well that's weird because because they were saying he's not like again, this article, it's like his floaters percentage is better, his rim percentage is better. He's not he basically doesn't have to depend on threes. And like like to your point, like the shooting comes and goes sometimes. And I think that's where I think you, Michael, you noted in the past, he just kind of goes into the like step back game and just takes the hardest step backs of all time instead of just continuing to go go to the basket. Um that's a great point. That's weird. I, you guys have made great comparisons. Comparing Jokic and Doncic on defense, then comparing Giannis and Luca's shooting are not things that would come to mind at first, but actually really both make sense and like really illustrate like kind of what's going on with those players. 
I think, I mean, percentage wise, I think he's, he's not as bad. No, I know, as but, he's, honest, but he's, but he goes through spurts. Yeah. yeah. He's sort of streaky, even though his shot is like, you know, he obviously is a, is a great shooter. He doesn't, he's not as consistent. Um, as consistent as you like. I think he also has the lowest portion of anyone creating any offense for him, which is probably because he has the ball in his hands all the time, but still, it was just, <laughs> I mean, like there's a lot else going on. Um, it, the other college game I saw just quickly was the Stanford. We went to the, we went to the Stanford women's game. Um, women's college basketball is my favorite college basketball. Like it's, nice. that, That's the exception to the college basketball. Yeah. Right it's now. so good. I feel like especially when it gets into the tournament or like really good leagues like the Pac-12 where you they play like they play Arizona who's like 18th in the country so I mean they handled Adia Barnes well. she's yeah, great I know great I know she just left a year too early man two years too early uh, to leave UW but um, but Haley Jones is the best player for Stanford and it was interesting because afterwards um, I was reading an article Tara Vanderveer who's like one of the greatest coaches of all time coached the original like 96 like women's dream team and everything and like won titles in the early 90s and then didn't win titles for like 30 years even though she went to the final four like 15 times uh thanks a lot Gino Ariema for that but um but it was interesting because she called she called Haley Jones her um Magic Johnson and um and to me she looks like Luca when she's playing out there because she just kind of like she's like a power forward but like has handles and can pass and shoot and can just kind of do everything. And again, like we're talking about play at her own pace. So I guess the magic comparison is apt that way. But the weird thing is that I wanted to, by Coach Vanderveer, you know where I'm at with Oliver now, but I do remember that Magic Johnson was the point guard and it wasn't like Michael Cooper was bringing the ball up all the time. Mm-hmm. Like Haley Jones should just be the point guard. Like she doesn't play point guard. She plays like, like a three because they have like, they have like five, six, seven girls who are all like, first like the first recruit in their class like every year so they're they're she plays like shooting guard or small forward even though she's 6-1 and can do everything as first team all-american but they have this guard who just brings the ball up and throws it to her (laughs) (laughs) i said i i know i know michael would appreciate this but she did she was left-handed i was like I think I maybe mentioned to Josiah watch thinking that's that's Rick Brunson to Luca Dutchess over there. <laughs> but it was like just make the point guard. And I feel like that's what people in the NBA have figured out. Like, and even with the Nuggets, like, you know, Don, um, you know, Yoko should just have the ball. He should just play point guard. Like, give him the ball every time. Like, what's the let's not have someone bring it up and dribble and throw it to him. But yeah, it was fun. Stanford dominated, they're really good. Um, so speaking of magic and women's college basketball, I didn't think Westhead got enough time to turn around the uh, Ducks women's program. Remember Paul Westhead would be. Oh yeah, coach? man. Yeah, yeah. Now from, they... from from the Lakers winning championship in '80 to University of Oregon women's team, and they they got rid of them. They should have given them more time. I know, man. Like <laughs> with Will Merriman in between the Nuggets. <laughs> I always think it's funny because I, I haven't seen the show, but Jason Siegel played Westhead, right? In the yeah. in the miniseries. <laughs> and and Siegel like played bat. He played basketball in high school on like the Collins twins team, um, like Harvard Westlake in LA. And he like won dunk contests and stuff. But I was like, I don't know. Like you got picked. He's like probably so excited because you can play basketball. Like at least give him Rampus or something. <laughs> you know? He's like playing the coach who kind of in between uh the guy who started it all and, and riley it's a little it's kind of well, a tough role man well is riley to westhead the same is the same as popovich was to bob hill was that the same kind of oh. thing that, that took all fame and glory and 
Well, that's a good point. And even though the what, what was the first what was the first coach? I haven't read that whole book, but the first coach too, right? Who started? Oh, and had the injury. Yeah, the injury, and then West had replaced him, right? Schumann, McKenney, uh, or something. Oh, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, I forget, but yeah, it's just crazy all that stuff. Working. I mean, again, I can't believe they how they cast Riley because I mean, maybe Riley was like that type of personality early, and then he just created the tough guy image over time. <laughs> but it's like I don't know. Um, but yeah, if only Michael Douglas could have been born thirty years later. He would have been oh, a perfect Riley, you know. No, totally. That would have been great. The, yeah. uh, the the real question in this entire anecdote is is who who would have won in their heyday, Jason Siegel or Jason Sudeikis, and won a game one on one? Oh, <laughs> that's true. Well, Sudeikis, Sudeikis, Sudeikis played with the Rushes. Yeah, he was from Kansas, so I feel like Kansas is like you know it was Naismith, Fog Allen, Wilt Chamberlain. So I gotta go. I think I gotta go with uh, you know Sudeikis is probably more of a ground game. He's shooting threes. Siegel was more of like, you know, like the guy you play with in high school who's like super athletic, but like you'd rather hang out, talk to girls or like do art and stuff like that and be in musicals. So I feel like <laughs> I feel like Sudeikis was more in the gym more often working. Um, he was more of the funny guy. Yeah, I go. I might go Sudeikis, I think. Um, <laughs> so good. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Uh that analysis that's spot on the handsome norm the handsome george went <laughs> he's seriously like he's not as funny as his uncle but he look he's better looking it's like the perfect like sweet spot i mean it was for a while at least i guess First, personal <laughs> life sort of changed there but i don't know that, that reminds me with with uh saturday night live alums they would say that they would hate it when like a good looking actor would come on and try to be funny because they're like, there's like, no, you don't. If you're good looking, this is our thing. You, can't, our like, thing. you can't have the best of both worlds, you know. And, and did you guys think? I, mean, I felt like when they did the stunt casting, which was disappointing, they did it. Like Baldwin's a genius, and obviously he's gone through a lot of stuff too. But, but like his Trump, I felt like was just, it just wasn't even very fun or funny at all to me. Um, but then they had Jim Carrey play Biden, which again was just sort of like over the top. I mean, I love Jim Carrey, but Sudeikis had a good Biden. I liked his Biden. Really? Yeah. Did you guys ever see that? He like he did the early like Obama era Biden, and it was just like kind of the cool uncle, like the you know, the aviator shades. And That's like, about yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. He's got like uh yeah, like a cutoff on or something, and <laughs> just drinking a beer and talking about you know, uh, Pennsylvania and Scranton and everything. So I don't know. I feel like he got a, he was getting huge with uh, Ted Lasso. They should have brought him back, but. I stopped watching SNL after the uh, Bush Gore debates in 2000. So I'm a little behind. Oh man. He left. <laughs> They're on Lord, DVR. You can get, you can catch up. Lauren Michaels was right. <laughs> I'm a Jim Downey guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna bring this back here for a second. I texted you guys this last week. I, the downfall of the Phoenix Suns is is somehow, I think, totally predictable. If you asked me at the beginning of the season, but after the first like 15 games, seemingly they were kind of humming along uh, per expectations. I mean, what do you guys make of Phoenix so far? Falling almost. I mean, I think they're tied for eighth, which is they're tied with the uh vaunted minnesota timberwolves and portland trailblazers so eight nine and ten there uh what do you guys what do you guys make of this free fall they've been in 
I mean, when you have your best player out, um, it's just it's hard. Like he he really held them together. And obviously CP3, it's just tough to watch now because he's sort of he's hit that point. Um but that's what's so wild to your point. I mean, yeah. Booker, they're one and nine in their last 10. Meanwhile, yeah. Curry goes out and the Warriors are six and four. Like it's <laughs> not including losses in their last two games to, to uh, you know, Eastern Conference, you know, seller teams with the Magic and the Pistons. I mean, they could easily have like ripped off eight, you know, eight out of 10 in the same in the same injury span. That's what's so curious to me when you think when you look at the Suns, how I didn't ever realize, I think, how much Booker with all his his own kind of challenges at times really was that engine that made them go. Yeah, I mean, James Jones made the, C- he made the CP3 trade. He drafted Johnson, um, but he got Booker and Aiton and Bridges, I think, from McDonough, like from the previous regime. So it's, it's you know, the CP3 trade unlocked all of it, and that was an incredible move. But, like, like it's seeing the way James Jones has created, built the rest of the team – he definitely doesn't seem like he wants to have development players. He does. They gave up on Jalen Smith, who's, you know, rotation 20 minute night guy in Indiana for a team with a better record somehow than the Suns. Um, <laughs> and like they could use a guy who was active like that. And it was just, they, he just, they just seem like they've been just bringing on guys who like to fill a role as opposed to like, we want to collect talent. And obviously, when you're as good as they've been and close to winning a championship or the best record in the league last year, like that's the right approach. That, that approach makes sense. And you don't want to go full wits it on it where you just kind of keep grabbing dudes who want to play a ton and are really talented. But I think what happens right now is when you kind of, you lose a couple of guys, you don't, they don't have anyone that can stand up. Like they gave Landry Shamit like 40 or $50 million. And, you know, I mean, Steph's brother-in-law is basically the same player. I mean, I, I don't really feel like, I mean, Shamit can do more than him, but it's not like off the charts with, with Damian Lee. And there, and none of those guys are real athletes that can kind of like impose themselves, um, you know, on the game. I mean, Dee, I'll turn it over to you. And then I, I actually, one of the other points you made, Michael, about it, I wanted to bring up, but Dee, what are your thoughts on the Stones? No, I think the Suns are just, they're suffering from a, a broken spirit with how things uh, played out last year. I mean, that regular season they had for their talent level, I mean, everything, everything was just coming up gold for them last year. Like they were winning every close game. It it was, it was their year. And to, to lose in such a disheartening fashion, I I think there is a, a psychological element. And then yes, losing Paul for a period of time. And now he looked to be over the hill. I think Aiden's been a pretty, I can we can say he's a disappointment right now. I mean, um, he's, you know, he obviously brings certain things to the table, but it doesn't seem like he's taken. I mean, he had stretches where even in the final that playoff run where they lost to the the Bucks in the championship, like he he just looked really good, and it just seems like he's kind of leveled off. And then you lose Cam Johnson, but as we've learned for many teams that have made it to the finals, the key piece has always been Jay Crowder for uh Miami <laughs> Heat and, uh, you know. so 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 it's a number of factors I think um but yeah it's been a rough go for them yeah I think the point about you know John's Cam Johnson again is another guy who they really miss but also who fits a role like if Booker's out like Cam Johnson can't like fulfill even part of his role we're like to your point Michael like Steph goes out 
And and Poole gets the ball all the time in his hands even more than he does. Now, Poole's been all over the place, which explains, I think, some of the more recent losses they've had. But at least there's a guy there who can do those types of things and sort of, you know, provide some of that that oomph that you need. Um, I, I also, I guess, Michael, part of your text also was just wondering, like, what's the counterfactual if the Pacers, or excuse me, if the Suns, you know, if James Jones listened to Monty Williams and just let Aiden go for nothing last summer to the Pacers, I mean, imagine him as the other big with Turner. I mean, again, you probably want to split them up another big guy um, with all those guards they have with Halliburton and just Aiden not getting like stared at and yelled at by Chris Paul and his little, his little, <laughs> his little CP and uh, Booker just giving dirty looks to him all the time. And, demanding he do much more than he can do or he can just relax and like get lobs from Halliburton and dunk and lob city it up. I, I think Aiden would have like, I think Aiden would be a better place. I don't know about, you know, I think the Pacers would have been too. Um, but I thought that was a good, good question too, Michael. Yeah. I mean, it's totally fascinating to me that, I mean, it's such a classic case of like not looking kind of the reality of the circumstances in the, in the, in the face. I mean, you know, Derek, you kind of, you mentioned that, you know, Aiton has had his own challenges, has been a bit of a disappointment. But my 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 response would be, what do you what do you expect when you basically like dare your big man to play in a contract year, yell at him on the end of the bench in like the game seven you're getting blasted in, and then spend all summer just staring at him and saying, Go get a go get an offer sheet, which he eventually gets, and then you match and 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 then at the at the kickoff uh press conference for this their season, they asked. DeAndre yeah, and Monty Williams, say. if they talked it all that summer, and they both said no, they had not talked all summer. Like, I mean, yeah. what do you expect? Like, there was, there was, was no staring. There was no. There was no staring. There was nothing. There was no human reaction at all. And actually, Monty's kept that streak going. Um, he's on. Uh, it's been about 200, 200 days since he's actually spoken to Aiden. He speaks through the coaches, other players. Um, that's really, really not brought it's a not becoming. Oh, sorry. No, no it was not becoming of Monty Williams to, I mean, it was really surprising when I heard that he hadn't talked to him because he just seems like he's a very like relational guy. He understands the importance of, of team dynamics and he's built like so many great relationships, but uh, I don't know what Aiton did to him, but uh, uh, it seems like there's some, some, maybe there's more to the story. I'm just reading into it, but uh, it, well, it was really surprising. Well, I think a couple of things are going on potentially. One is, is all these guys who work for Popovich, I mean, Monty was super close to them. Obviously, when he lost his first wife, he goes back and just works for Pop and the Spurs. And like, you know, it's an amazing relationship and mentorship and everything back and forth. But again, like these guys, it's kind of like the guys who coach with Belichick trying to do Belichick without Brady. And we've seen how Belichick's done without Brady. And it's like pop without Duncan, which pop always admits, but you, you can't really be like a crusty old, like kind of like enforcer. If you don't have, you know, it's like, like they had Duncan, they had Ginobili, they had, they had all these guys. I mean, Parker is probably the trickiest guy for him to deal with and kind of build up and break down. But, you know, Ginobili was like one of the great, like character leader guys of his era. And obviously Duncan. So I, I think that's, you know, I think that's part of it. Um, where you know they struggle and i think i think what it's weird because on the outside i think we're all like well cp3 kind of doesn't have 
the last the next gear the last gear he needs to win the title against Milwaukee or get going to the playoffs. That's pretty obvious from the outside. But my sense is that Monty and Booker and CP3 blame Aiden, actually, which is a little bit weird. But I think they look at Aiden as the biggest gap between his potential and what he yeah. is. And obviously, like CP3 and Booker are like like the guy. I mean, the fact that CP has had this renaissance in his career at this point and has been, I mean, is he the most the best point guard ever? I mean, he's up there, right? Magic on but just he's up there. Booker, like I love Booker from Summer League, but he's still like. It's a, he just keeps getting better. It's kind of like Luca. He just keeps getting better and better. And we're seeing how good he is. And so I think those, and Monty is such a, like a character guy. He's fought for everything. I mean, you forget with Monty, he had the heart ailment too, right? He almost didn't play in the NBA. Like that guy's, and obviously his loss with his, his first wife and every, he's been through so much and he's such a high character guy. I think they all kind of, um, they sort of blame him, hold him responsible and are resentful towards him. Right. And, and, and the piece of the Popovich playbook that I think they would be missing in that equation is even though like Popovich has this very like gruff exterior and, you know, he, he can be hard on guys. He also talked about how you have to, you have to treat every player differently in accordance, like with their personality. So like yeah. LaMarcus Aldridge was a very sensitive guy. Yeah. And he would not be hard on LaMarcus Aldridge because he knew that he couldn't, handle it it wasn't going to um Matt there wasn't a one-size-fits-all for that approach so I feel like if that's which what you're saying appears to be like the case uh, that makes a lot of sense that they're blaming him but um that's not that's not a good formula for for handling him um so it seems like that's that's part of part of the issue there that they they needed to would need to handle him with you know softer gloves well, even the Crowder, we talked about before, but the Crowder thing where it's like you're, you mentioned, I mean, you were, I mean, Crowder's a is a rotation guy for them and for anybody he played for this year, and he's just not played <laughs> <laughs> in like three months. So it's like, it's just, again, it's a weird thing where there's something missing in terms of, um, like at the GM level, the coach level, in terms of like just kind of making those things work and figuring out how to make them happen. But to your point, D, I mean, they just went through like being up 2-0 and losing and then coming back and like getting what happened to them against Dallas last year. And they even struggled against New Orleans. I mean, that was a huge battle too, partly because Booker was hurt part of the time. But I do think it just kind of put them over the edge and then Booker's brilliance just kind of held it together. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel like Aiden, again, you have to accept who Aiden is. And I think Aiden, it's just, he either can be like a constant disappointment because he's not, you know, an all-star center and he doesn't like, he's sort of soft in his offensive game and he likes two jumpers and he doesn't want to like, you know, he's not like going to go and get offensive like high efficiency offense on his own. Um, the guy's super athletic. He can guard well. I mean, I'm not saying he's like, he's not Brick Lopez, but he's still like, you know, he can guard centers and give them some trouble and, and engage with them. And he's again, like super athletic, catch lobs. He can finish. Like he's got some very strong skills. And it's weird to me because he's getting criticized, but like a guy like Bridges, who, also has not been able to kind of meet this need and step up his playmaking and, and stuff is it's just, you know, they, they're not, those guys are, we're seeing the kind of the, 
how far those guys can go on their own. And, you know, they're good role players and they're, they're good and you want them. And I would have given eight in the money and I would have loved to see him at Indiana. I feel like he would be having so much fun with Halliburton. Like Halliburton was like, was like early CP3 before he was like angry at the world about everything. And just, you know, I guess that was from the beginning. He was like, and he's that, like but, six, seven, which is helpful. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I wonder how much of it the Phoenix has to do with the fact that like CP has worn out his welcome at like, I mean, every stay he's been at past like three or four years, he, he, he kind of hits this, this breaking point. And le- once the winning slows down, I mean, it happened in the, with the Clippers It obviously happened with the Rockets you know, he wasn't in OKC long enough for it to happen, but it's like you wonder. It's like that first year he was there, that they were all singing the song and dance that Aiton was like, Oh, Chris, he changed my career. He really, you know, he's he's yelled at me so much that I really started to change my behavior. And then like two years later, he's like, Chris is still yelling at me. This <laughs> is it's more of the same. I mean, I just wonder, like, especially when you don't have your fastball the way CP doesn't at this point, you know, you can only you can only take so much rope until you just, you kind of got to hang them up. Well, and then he got in the, you know, the tabloids for, uh, you know, supposedly <laughs> dating uh, OJ's goddaughter, the. <laughs> oh, gee, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's losing focus, guys. He's losing focus. Maybe he should play more video games. Maybe he and Aiden and Monty can all play, uh, you know, can play uh, first person. Call of Duty. So Call of Duty. With the Kyler. Yeah, Stephen Eni uh, hasn't been on. He has a little kid now. He can't. He has our our nephew David. He can't do as much on the vi- old video games. But we can call him out of retirement. You can get on there with Aiden. We can bring it together. Send some cigars around. <laughs> we need to have a peace pipe. We need something. Get these guys reconciliation. It's all about relationship. <laughs> Don't smoke bullshit cigars. That's what I say. Oh well, I, I Derek, I actually have another question for you in the uh, Western Conference uh, plan uh, troika. No, no, don't, don't do it. Don't. You're uh, <laughs> no. There's, much, there's been much to do about the some of the teams in the Eastern Conference who maybe aren't meeting expectations, namely the Toronto Raptors and the Chicago Bulls. Oh, that hurts. But one of the one of the the the, the things I've been kicking around in my head is is it feels like the trailblazers in this year oh they are certainly a a a man or two short um they have or a um, coach short they're coach short <laughs> wow shots bring fired. back stats bring back stats <laughs> i'd love it, to bring back stats it, 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 well, they, i mean I, i'm curious if you agree with this i mean it feels like the blazers are on a pace in their career in their in their sort of franchise building where they have a lot of the right pieces, they are certainly one or two short, especially like in a high level impact player. But because of the way the year it is, I mean, it's a bit of a toss up year with so much parody as we've discussed. Would you entertain a trade that centered around Shaden Sharp if it was for the the right type of player? Um. I mean, yeah, I'd have to hear the options for who the player would be. Um, if but... you could get Siakam... If the Raptors start to tear down and rebuild around Scotty Barnes, would a deal centered around Shaden Sharp and some picks for Siakam, a certified All NBA player, kind of you pair him with Grant and the and the little guards in the backcourt? Oh man, wh- whoever wow. the fifth guy is, GP or you know who are Nurkic? Some. All right, you got yourself a, a deal. Siakam's I mean, amazing. Siakam's amazing player. 
And him and Grant together. Wow, that's <laughs> crazy. A, that's a length and uh, agility and amazing athleticism. That, that's pretty enticing. And well, it's because because Sharp. I think Sharp is interesting. He's an interesting player because besides Paolo, he's probably the most intriguing rookie to me out of this entire class. Oh, he's he's the most to me. The most. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Paolo is incredible. He's better than I thought he'd be, but I kind of like. He's not like. He's better than I thought he'd be, but it's on like the path. But Sharp, I didn't really know. You see the highlight, you see his high school stuff, but like he's gonna be in the dunk contest, right? I mean, he's like he has the combination of has the shooting and he has the dunking and the, the athletic ability. And I just don't know. I mean, you don't get that. I mean, I guess like Zach, you've had guys, but it's just he's he's intriguing, man. So I think- oh, and that's the thing, I think it's He's so interesting. So whether he's first or second, he's like, he's in that, that echelon. Yeah. yeah, yeah where he's definitely. so intriguing, but it's like, you're never going to trade Paolo at this point. Like he, what he could become and what he already is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like yeah. that's not a, that would be, but, but Shaden's the type of guy that's like, yeah, is there a, there's a 20% chance he doesn't become anything you ever hope that like you're excited about. I mean, there's some, there's yeah. some probability he doesn't arrive there. So you're willing to deal him particularly for like, the instant gratification of someone like Siakam that really would put the Blazers, I think, in an echelon, at least with their with the core five, that would be absolutely like, you know, lightning in a bottle, it seems like. I don't think Nurse yeah. would play, man. It would be like Hart or GP. Those guys yeah. would just be going, it'd be great. Lillard could just, like, you wouldn't have to guard anybody. It would just be like... Be I think the, the question with Sharp is, can he become a scorer? Like, can he be a, a go-to guy that can... Like a creator. Can, like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he, he, he can shoot and dunk, but can he actually... Yeah, like, who can score over 20 points a game. and Controlling the, the ball. That yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of upside overall, but that's the area that I have, I have concerns about. I mean, are we having this conversation if, you know, if instead of being on track for 55 games played this year... Lily was on pace for 75 games or 70 games, right? I mean, he missed 12 games already. So um, I think they went like five and seven, four and eight. You know, if he's he plays a few more of those games, we're talking, I mean, it's not a huge difference, but there's not a huge difference in the Western Conference, as Michael pointed out. So that's my biggest concern is just like you make that trade and then Lillard gets hurt again. And it's like, I mean, you you just resign. I mean, Siakam, I think you have for another year or two. You resign Grant. You kind of keep keep building. But the Lillard thing is just kind of it's just a bummer. That this is kind of all happening at this point. And I mean, I just don't, does that is that going to change? Like, is he ever going to play seventy games again in a season? Like, it's just. I mean, the, it doesn't really matter in the modern NBA the way it used to. But it's just that's my bigger concern. Is like you go all in, and then it's like. Because, I mean, how long is Lillard's contract now? Is it for, like, three years past this one now? Is that what it is? Or four? I think I mean, it's, it's four like, more. Yeah. So, it's like. I'm just yeah. tired of losing to these subpar teams, both at, at home and on the road, that feel like we are more talented than, and then we, we get down, and then we rally, and then we just can't get over the hump. And I do. I, uh, Chauncey seems like a really good guy. He was a great player, and I think he <laughs> – he brings things to tables. I don't mean to be overly critical of him, but it just seems like our our offensive system, our philosophy is like it. It just doesn't seem like there's good. Like we don't run a lot of plays sometimes, or we have Lillard off the ball a lot, and it. it I don't know if that 
is a formula for success. And we're just not running anything like coherent down the stretch when we need a, a basket. It just, uh, and Chauncey just is kind of standing there with this. He just like, he doesn't look like he's fully uh, strategically engaged in the way that we need him to be. But I mean, it, it's just my sense with observing. I don't, I don't know what he's saying in the huddle. He could be a mastermind technician, but I just don't, I don't like what we're producing right now. Well, it's a little bit of a tell before he like took the job or I think he had the job, but before he started, they, there was a big article basically talking about how during the pandemic, like, like Billups, like had Tyron Liu, Tyron Liu like moved in with him for like a couple months. Oh, yeah. uh, Tyron Liu was like the assistant for the Clippers at the time. And they just like did like their own like head coach training day together. And they'd all like, they'd just coach and work through things and do like video review and stuff. And it was just basically like, we know Chauncey hasn't really done much in the coaching front really, uh, but he's been working hard. He's doing, yeah. putting in the extra credit hours to do it. But it's gotta be hard too, being a, you know, a fan, a, a, you know, very engaged fan and to go from stocks to someone like that too, where stocks, I mean, obviously the defense struggled at times and uh, which, you know, I would argue is, more structure roster structure than coaching but his offensive stuff was always super like top notch like up there in that top echelon of coaches in terms of what he ran and how he did it and obviously they had great offensive players including Lillard but that's got to be a tough tough watch to go from that um it is hard they're in transition and the bench is just Especially with when GP2 was out, it's just not there's not a lot there in terms of like when Eubanks like like there's just I think someone pointed this out. It's just maybe Zach Lowe. It's just, it's just getting like guys who are like sol- a solid NBA player in place of like Eubanks or you know some of the other bench guys that are just getting, especially with Winslow being hurt, getting a lot more run now. It's just those are kind of bad minutes. And if you just had somebody who was kind of decent in that in that place, but the way the structure of the team and this is the way the salary cap limits people is that limits teams is like when you're paying got certain guys a ton of money there's just no middle class and it's just you're just stuck with these guys and i do wonder like someone like hart you know and again d love you watched a lot more of them than i have this year but it's just he does seem to have some limitations in what he's doing and obviously that works really well when it's like him and grant and lillard and simons you know and he can kind of play that fourth option role and kind of like be energy and kind of be a glue guy but it's just he doesn't strike me as someone that like can lead a bench unit or can kind of do he has limitations and i i don't think he's a just good enough to get you beat guy but it definitely <laughs> feels like it's closer to that than i was hoping um but isn't he like an overqualified bruce brown to a certain degree like he's like a really big like rebounding guard but he can actually handle and he can shoot it a little bit even though he like refuses to shoot threes anymore i mean that's what I mean. That's what Bruce Brown was, and then he became basically like a what's a what, what's smaller than a small ball five, like a micro ball five, <laughs> like a mini ball five, like one of those Fisher Price balls that you get when you buy the little plastic hoop when you like aspire for your children to shoot baskets. You're like, oh, this is great. These are these these little small balls will be perfect. And meanwhile, they just just throw them at your nuts. <laughs> I can't believe you first my nephew like that. Come on. <laughs> Abrams not here to defend himself. Yeah, it's good target practice, but uh, no, I I think hard. That, that's where hard's interesting to me. I think is like that sort of. Again, I mean, he can't really defend bigs per se, but he certainly can bring a lot of different things to the table. 
if you're not asking them too much. So I think you hit the nail on the head there. It just occurred to me that like, I think the injury thing is really curious and how some of these teams sort of split um, the generations. I mean, the Warriors have obviously discussed it the most and have kind of sung the praises of the, of the two timelines and all the malarkey that they kind of equated to winning the title last year while maintaining their lottery picks. Um, you know, the Blazers find themselves on that similar vein. I mean, I think Lillard, if he can stay healthy, still is sort of a, he's, he's one of those guys that matters. Um, but, but staying healthy is, is one of the bigger questions in the last year plus. And, uh, I, I think they're, they're the type of franchise to me that if Paul Allen was still alive, it seems like they would be much more prone to taking that swing versus, kind of where they are today and potentially the restrictions or limitations they have on the franchise that there's maybe more of an edict to be relevant than just to take the big swing. Um, I, I, there's other logistical complication with this trade is that, that our, our dear friend near old Shea uh, per, top our lottery protected the pick in the, in the uh, <laughs> to infinity uh, and beyond <laughs> in the Cavs bulls blazers three-way trade. And it goes out through 2028. So somehow that that protection would have to be altered to make this this deal happen, but um, it uh, he's still wounding us. It was a good good going away present. Yeah, it, it's a reminder too how you just need some breaks sometimes. I mean, the fact that they did the McCollum Nance trade and and they really like they it was you know it was a risk they took on trying to get that pick um, and kind of need, it, it kind of just hit the eye of the needle for the the pick they wanted to get back and then it didn't didn't come in terms of the higher pick from the Pelicans. Um, it just reminds me a little bit of like, you know, Jerry West takes over Memphis. So you get another horrible trade where they, you know, Memphis traded like the number two pick for, it was, was it Otis Thorpe like years before that um, in the LeBron draft. And it was like, if they got the number one pick, then they like, they would have got LeBron. And if they <laughs> got the number two pick, they would have to give it to the Pistons. <laughs> so Jerry West, you know, now knowing more of his background, uh, I don't know. I don't know what he did after that when that was pretty crazy seeing him sit the pedestal waiting. Um, but you're like, yeah, but imagine if he had if that luck had gone his way and he had uh yeah, just a whole nother whole nother world. But I just it's just been hard because like you said, uh Michael, you know, Cronin, they're trying to split the two generations and trying to it's a tough thing to balance, and it would have helped a lot to get just get that extra pick, even um you know, it was late lottery to try and get another guy in there too, because they just need more, you know, need more guys. One related question, going back to Sharp, would you, you know, would you rather have Sharp or Kaminga? Oh, Sharp. Right? Yeah. Michael? Kaminga, I mean, there's talent both ends, but there's um, the intangibles, it seems like Kaminga is lacking. I think that's a fair critique, to be honest. His body language is not always the, the thing you'd want to see. But you do see when he, like, gets the right pep talk on the bench and he comes in and he's just like a bat out of hell. And you're like, oh, wow, someone. So I don't know if it's the nice guys that he responds to or if it's like Draymond's threats that he responds to. It's one or the other, though, because he really he, he shot out of a cannon just every like third game. Um yeah, there was there was there was the game he came off and he made a really huge play. I forget a couple games ago, and Draymond <laughs> started like snarling at him and yelling at him and started pushing at him and getting his face and yelling. And it was funny because 
the response on Twitter was like, oh my God, like what is Draymond doing? And then the like, you know, the the Warriors intelligentsia was just like, no, 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 this is how Draymond competes. This is what he does. And I'm like, I'm sort of with the the noobs, man. I'm like, yeah. if if the guy who just Kamiko was right there when when Draymond decked pool. And so if the dude, that same dude comes up to me just wild-eyed, I'm just hoping he doesn't sucker punch me too. <laughs> yeah. No, Draymond needs to sign like a non-aggression pact with his teammates. Like uh he's he's already Never, crossed the line. Give me all the Draymond stock, guys. I'm still buying, but uh, I do think it's sharp. I mean, I think ultimately the allure of, I mean, it's not unlike why, like, would you rather take a lottery pick or no, right. Mathurin? Like what, no, if right. we do have a lottery pick in this draft or Mathurin. Ooh, Mathurin. That's a good one, actually. Like, right. Like, so you're, it's a lot, it's a chance. That, what, what is my like default pick in the lot? Like, oh, I mean, would what? you, would you rather have the Lakers pick right now for next year? All right, like, would so you rather be in like the Pelicans? Eight, like eighth? Yeah, if the Pacers called the Pelicans and were like, I mean, there's no way the Pelicans would trade that Laker pick. For well, because of because of Wimby, right, or because of Scoop. Yeah, I mean, but another draft like last year. But it might draft. not. But it might not even be a, like a, it might not. They might make the playoffs. I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like conceivable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the Lakers might... Lakers would do that deal. <laughs> it's not their pick anymore. Um, that's but a I good think that's point. I, so. I think that, I, that's a good because he's good. He is really good. Yeah, like, he's fun, man. He's really, really good. So that's a tough one. But I think at your hand, the point is that the Blazers need to decide now. Like if they're like, we're gonna make a, we're gonna try and like, like if they are like, we're gonna move, like we're willing to move sharp for the right guy. They need to like do that as fast as possible if they know because. And it comes back to the, like the Mike Lombardi thing uh, about like evaluating your own talent first, which is kind of funny. Mike Lombardi has two sons or officer. I think I said this maybe recently. His two, he has like at least I think the Raiders officer coordinator who I don't know if he's calling the plays, but he's considered a really bad officer coordinator. I think the other his other son isn't doing it too hot either. It's just like God love coaching, man. Just uh, these these nepo babies all over the place. Um, but I, I I think you have to you have to to make that move earlier because like Kaminga was more valuable a year ago than he is now. Like, like they could have traded like Kaminga and Moody for Siakam last year. Like yeah, if, yeah. if you're like, hey Masai, pair Scotty Barnes with these two other rookies from the same class, they'll all be yeah, great yeah, together. Yeah. Like that's yeah. more of a conversation then than ever it is now. No, it's not happening. The whole Moody thing is kind of sad. I thought I just you kind of feel like he should. He, if he can't play now, it's you know, they're a really good team still, even with all the ups and downs this year. But it's just he should be able to play now. That was the whole point of him. Um, I still can't believe I mean, we talked about Lamelo, but um, Wagner, man, the Wagner one, man, yeah. <laughs> Wagner is so good, it would be perfect for them. <laughs> so that's the brutal one. Um, but we'll see what happens. The exciting times, yeah. So it is, uh It'll be an interesting sort of, I'm curious. I'm really actually curious. I think the play and dynamics here associated with the end, this, this sort of the trade deadline that's forthcoming. Right. I mean, we're still about a month away, but you, you, the, the who's in who's out stuff is just really fascinating because there's, you know, there's a handful of teams that are just bad. They don't really have anything of interest to playoff teams. And then there's three or four teams that could kind of go one way or the other. 
And I, I, I mean, clearly some of them are going to break to the selling side, but no one has quite yet. And so I'm just that last week or two of this, of the, of the deadline is going to be, it's going to be fascinating. I think even just the trade compensation is going to be fascinating. Like, is there a first moving benefit to like, I want to go get Clarkson for protected first. And then like, as the, like the deadline comes down, the price for like a, you know, a bench score just skyrockets or is it sort of the inverse or, I mean, it's, yeah. it's going to be like a fun little sort of subplot over the next month to see how, you know, the bulls, the Raptors, um, the jazz even sort of figure out what to do here. Speaking of the yeah, jazz, I the saw jazz. a stat. Yeah, the, the Jazz are the craziest ones. Yeah, I saw a stat. Laurie Markkinen is the only player in the league who has yep. 70 dunks and 70. I said that too. Oh, I said, said that too. Okay, got to, to Rainini, I guess. No, that, I was gonna say that too. Like, we all think, I mean, anyone that's even like, like a you know, very rabid NBA fan, you kind of think of Markkinen, you think of him with like the Bulls or the Cavs, or even if you watched him a lot this year, you're like, he's you know, they have Atlantic, they have Markkinen, you know, kind of 70 dunks. And 73s. I mean, he is going to the basket. He's catching lobs. He's doing everything. And I was yeah, there, there is our most improved player of the yeah, year. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that, that Pena pointed out in the piece. It's just that the most normal thing is like the jaw thing where you're really, you're good or you're okay. And then you're like an all-star, like an SGA or, but marketing is like, you know, he was a throw in that trade. I mean, none of, no one was like, oh my God, I got marketing. Let's see what happens. It was Sexton oh. was the conversation, right? They signed Sexton to make the money work. and Yeah, it's but... kind of crazy. They should have probably uh, put Allen in the trade and kept uh, Mark to go with Mobley. That would be nasty. That's the crazy was, thing. Did you see someone asked Donovan, Billy Donovan about it? Like, hey, why didn't Mark Dan have a chance here? Why didn't he really take off? He's <laughs> like, everyone matures at their own rate. and <laughs> They need to run. Yeah, he's like. Jim Boylan, Boylan uh, poisoned the water here, man. Yeah, still dealing well, with it. But the Jazz are—I mean, if if it works out where they like, you know, make some of these trades and they kind of like get to like the fifth or sixth like spot <laughs> in the lottery, like it couldn't have worked out better. Like the Jazz fans are all super excited. Like they had a really fun run. Um, marketing's really good and super young. I mean, he's like twenty-five. It's not like he's a guy they can't like use. Um, Still, the Bogdanovich trade is still so weird to me. They got a Linux, it's helped them play five out, but it's just, I'm, I'm just curious to my old point, like what people get for stuff for players because I just have no idea. Like, I was really surprised that Bogdanovich was just a Linux in like a second round pick or something. It was just, oh, okay, that so it can be more valuable than that. But well, we'll that's the, they're, they're, I mean, Detroit suggesting that they're, they want like, you know, only a mildly protected first for him for like half a year. Right, and they and they resigned, they extended them too. It's like I mean, I think this is like a little bit. It just seems a little bit too complicated. Yeah, like Troy Weaver, man. Maybe work on developing your guys. Yeah, (laughs) like all. Just make sure Killian Hayes is a sucker punch anyone else again, but. (laughs) (laughs) Mo 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 earned that one. I'll be honest. When I had, (laughs) when I had the the. I had both the uh, Wagner brothers on my fantasy team. And when, after they got in the, the little brawl, I sent someone a video clip of the Hanson brothers, right? Remember from Slapshot? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, look out. I got the brothers here. You know, the glasses. Between them and the, and the Joker brothers, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, fearsome. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, hip check. Toe pick. Well, guys, uh, any anything else here for the good of the record? Otherwise, uh, I, I, think I don't have any apologies. Make it back to the championship next year. I think they're yeah. gonna they're gonna they're gonna come back from this. Yeah. Rally. Okay. Wait, TCU? Yeah. Okay. Well, the the crazy thing with just finish on the football, like Gary Patterson just left last year. Like these are all his players, and he was a special assistant for UT, and who's like their arch rival. And he has a statue in front of the stadium. And then Sonny Dykes ambles in and puts a different guy at quarterback, a guy they already had had. And they just like, you know, they hit, they hit, they hit gold. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. Uh Well, and Patterson was in the school's defense. Patterson had struggled on and off recently and was asked to to kindly sunset his tenure. And he he struggled for like four years, but he told him to piss off basically. And they just fired him on the spot Yeah, or he resigned. Right. I mean, no, they struggled and like they didn't, they were mediocre and for four years and they like, he, the defensive guy. So he wasn't picking the right coordinators. And, but I'm just saying like, they basically just took his guys and won the tight, went to the final game. <laughs> it's just crazy. How it's, it works the Craig, sometimes. it's the the Bob Hill story, you know, Craig. Pop it all comes, it all back, comes to back to it. that. I know, man. <laughs> Keep your friends close, your enemies closer. <laughs> Watch out for Popovich. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3ND Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit.